This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach. Your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Man, today we are tackling caffeine. We're tackling it. We're going to find out uh, if it's good or bad. Every It just depends the article you read. Some articles say it's going to kill you, it stunts your growth, and your children will come out warped. Yes. Others? Eh. Could be. Good. Makes you feel good. Hit and miss. And, and it, it hits people different ways. Yeah. Some people are really sensitive. Mm-hmm. I have family members that they'll... If they have some sort of caffeinated soft drink at about 7 o'clock, they're up till midnight. They, they get can't sleep. shaky, yeah. I have other family members. They can drink one and go to sleep. Well, and Ben, let's not even talk about what it does to poor little Ben here. Yeah. Comes in all shaky, purple lips. That's not the caffeine. That's the sugar. That's true. That's <laughs> the sugar. Because you're always eating like those. those uh, sugar cubes? Yeah, sugar cubes. <laughs> Like, what's he eating? He's like just a sugar cube. He thinks he's a horse. Loves a good sugar cube, a little salt lick. Life is good. Holy cow, what is going on around the world? This is crazy. Well, it's in a couple locations. I mean, it's getting, it reminds me of what happened after 9 11. You're just, they're chasing these leads and Doing yeah. what they can, or after the Boston bombing, when they were you know going through the suburbs of around that yeah. that area, just going from house to house trying to find people. It's a they're they're having success though. I mean, well, I mean they're they're finding out a lot of information. Imagine this though: when in nine eleven, we just figured out, oh, we've got to go to Afghanistan. Yes, let's go get them. Yeah, we had people in within the week. We had people on the ground. But if you're in Europe, and this is now going country to country, and now Germany's having concerns at their soccer matches yes. and Brussels and all of these different places. This is scary. This is like finding out Philadelphia's got a problem, whatever. You know, Detroit's got a problem now. All these different – this is all in your neighborhood. Man, aren't you glad you live in America? We have our problems too. <laughs> no. Get out of here. We do have our problems. And uh, President Obama going off. He kind of went off. He's not happy. Well, and certain members of uh, the political culture in this country are not helping the situation is what he's trying to say. Yeah. Well, and he's the president. So help them understand. I get politically some are going to try to position this for their candidacy. Yes. But he still I think he spoke on the phone yesterday to the governors. And there's still 30 plus governors that don't want refugees in their state. So there probably is – there needs to be there, better communication. The other side of it is many of those aren't even on the list of states that will get refugees. Well, OK. So th- there's no threat of any refugee other than right. I guess if they drove through your state. Right. But I'm, I don't think they're telling anyone who's going to get them, are they? There's a list. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's states that do – that. Like, like the state of Utah has traditionally accepted – Refugees and will. Right. Minnesota is another state that has had a history of this, and they are they they are part of this uh, the group that want to have the refugees in the state. Just, it just seems like we can just sit there and name call, and everyone can be mad at each other, or you could just explain to all of us why this is so safe. 
And they're they're trying by saying they have a vetting process. Yeah, it's let's an hear eight, about it. Eighteen month to two year process that's been documented on. I've seen it on like twenty websites so far. If you want to go led find it. by the same organizations, the same government that also does the IRS, that also does a lot of right. other things that people are frustrated. But with. it's been detailed. I don't know what people want more. Well, I think they, what they probably want is to be able to believe that we do things the right way. But people have a doubt of when it comes to the government on everything. Right. So you exactly. can't win. You can detail your program and then that's kind of the extent you can go. Well, I know. Or – and you could just keep patiently making your argument to the people – and showing how safe we are. As because- long as you don't have presidential candidates who, yesterday who were saying that why are we sending people from Syria to Minnesota? Because Minnesota's cold <laughs> and Syria's hot and they're not going to be very – uh, they're not going to acclimate well to the cold well, weather. Why, why are they doing this? It's hot in Syria. And that was the whole well, argument they were talking about. Like, they don't, they're trying to get out of a country that's being right. blown up. They and don't care already, what the climate is. Well, they're is. already being successfully integrated into Minnesota. And they're in Minnesota already. Right. It's not a uh, – But here's, I guess, the point. The president has however much time to make his point and his argument becomes a beatdown politically where he – then just educate us all. Yeah. Educate everyone on the process. It's we've already we're already succeeding. Do, we're do already you, doing. Do you want a really prime well time a address where he runs through our immigration processes? Because no, 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 it's no. really boring. No, I've no, read no, some be of careful, it. But watch what he did. But he had he got press. He's getting press. But his yeah. press was a beatdown of a few candidates of the opposite party. His problem's not just candidates because those candidates are also representing the views of millions of Americans. So that's who he needs to go talk to. Just say, look, I get it. You should be worried. That's scary. This is a scary thing. Now, let me just show you. We've already had immigrants coming from these countries for years and we're succeeding. And we have an incredibly strong border protection program. And this is – it's an 18-month program and it goes through 33 checks. And just explain it. And then all of a sudden the people will start to get it. And so he, he's got the biggest bully pulpit in the world. Use it to just inform everybody instead of polarizing. We talked about binary yesterday. Don't go binary. Just start explaining more to everyone. It's just crazy because the minute we politicize this, which we already will and they will and the Republicans will and the GOP will and the Democrats will. But in the end, talk to your people, President. Talk to the people. You have just as much power as Ted Cruz for crying out loud. Um, anyway, that's crazy town. Uh, and then the other thing that seems interesting is Russia, man. Russia, now that they know, now that they know it's terrorism, game on. They're ready to crack some heads. They're, they're ready to go to war. And even offering, I think, uh, they're offering like $50 million, I think, for information on the bombing. Wow. Crazy. So it's cool. Now, is that I mean, in rubles or? Yeah, it's probably... So fifty million. What does that equate to? I'm not sure. Hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. Uh, but Russia's on fire now. Anyway, crazy, crazy world events um, going on today. We're going to be getting into caffeine, the caffeine uh, issue, the pros, the cons of caffeine. You hear about it? I mean, a huge percent of the world population are, they're going to have a cup of coffee every morning, and yet, uh, what's the caffeine doing for you? Is the caffeine helping? Is it, is it hurting? 
I guess it just depends on who you talk to. Today we'll be talking with some researchers from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, Dr. Maggie Sweeney will be joining us and giving us the latest and greatest on their research. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Two suspects are dead in France. At least five others arrested after a a seven-hour-long standoff during a raid on suburban apartments where the mastermind of Friday's attacks was believed to be hiding. The fate of the alleged mastermind who was initially thought to be in Syria is not immediately clear. Police say one of the two dead in the incident was a woman who blew herself up. A police dog was also killed in the operation, and five officers were injured. Seven people arrested, including three people uh, from the apartment, and apparently the apartment's owner, though he says he wasn't involved, but they took him in just in case. The suburb of where the gunfight took place is less than two hours from the soccer stadium in Paris. That was one of the sites attacked Friday night. Two Air France flights traveling from the U.S. to Paris were diverted after anonymous bomb threats were phoned in. The airline confirmed Tuesday night. Flight 65, which was traveling from L.A., was diverted to Salt Lake City because of a security incident. A spokesperson from the FAA said a second flight traveling from Washington to Paris landed in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Passengers disembarked on both planes. In an FBI statement late Tuesday, authorities said they investigated and found no credible threat aboard. They also searched all the luggage. They caused... uh, I don't know, a lot of tense situations as they, you're mm. watching this this plane as they were trying to figure out, is this a threat or not? And apparently the uh, one that landed in Salt Lake City has yeah. been sent on its way. So it's, it's gone. It's gone. Man, I wonder if they got like free peanuts and... I think they were uh, taken off the airplane, put in a special room at the airport, and told to just sit there a second. Searched, yeah. <laughs> we'll figure good. this out. Moving on to some local, or more national I guess, Republican presidential candidate Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal has decided to suspend his campaign. When he was asked why his campaign never took off, he said... You know, Brett, we spent a lot of time developing detailed policy papers, and given this crazy, unpredictable election season, clearly there just wasn't a lot of interest in those policy papers. But the reality is, I think the Republican Party has to lay out the pathway why we are the party for opportunity and growth. Bobby Jindal was constantly on the uh, the secondary debate, yeah, and he wasn't polling much higher than one, maybe two percent at the height of his <laughs> his campaign. So he saw the writing on the wall and stepped aside. He said he wanted to narrow the field. Yes. So now it's down to fourteen. Now it's down to fourteen people. We're getting closer. So uh, Jindal currently not running. He will not run for re-election in Louisiana. Really? And uh, is going to go work at the think tank. That's okay. AK. That also means uh, he's going to go make some money now. He's got all these fa- policy he's papers, got- right? The minute he said, we spent a lot of our time making policy papers, I thought, well, that's, yeah, that's why you're leaving. Not talking to anybody, you were writing papers. Okay. Uh, And finally, the inquiry into fantasy sports sites FanDuel and DraftKings in New York has added Yahoo as a subject as well. The company was issued a subpoena for continuing to allow New Yorkers to access these fantasy sports sites. Attorney General Eric Schneiderman has raised a number of accusations against Yahoo and other media companies saying that they helped collect user fees in states where the fantasy sports sites were no longer allowed. Hmm. So it's spreading. It's not just the FanDuel and DraftKings. It's now like Yahoo.com and other maybe other sites that are, that are promoting fantasy football in Interesting. general. See, everyone's making money on this. Yes. Everywhere you see an ad for these organizations, they're making money. Now, the cynical side of me says maybe New York wants a cut. I'm sure. And that's kind of why they're they're going after them legally or yeah. they truly think it's gambling and they want it out. It's, see, some of these states won't go do legalizing marijuana to make no. money, but they'll, they're semi-legalizing a form of not wagering but gaming. 
gaming. It's there's there's a, a, a huge element of wagering to this though. Yeah, and we got yeah, but we, can we, it, wagering would be betting, right? But you so are putting your money well on, on your, like six on your indiv- they would say on your wisdom, on your incredible knowledge. Yeah, they're, of they're football. trying to they're trying to make the case that this is a skill of mm-hmm. picking the right players to yeah. win at fantasy football. Yeah. And I don't know if the courts are going to go. Oh yeah, that's a let's just a call skill. it. It's let's not call it gambling or wagering. Let's just call it fun, educated moneying. Moneying. Uh-huh. Yes. I, I I want to see the arguments. I want to see how they try to spin this so that uh, this isn't gambling because it's really don't you difficult think they they need like political duel like instead of fan duel yeah. it's like primary duel and then everyone wagers on the politicians not wagers because no. that would be gambling that would be gambling. But money, educated placement of money <laughs> to gain money. Hmm. Whatever. Crazy stuff, folks. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Maggie Sweeney will be joining us. Um, we're we're going to get uh, the latest and greatest research when it comes to caffeine. You know, there's so many that just can't get their day started without a little dose of uh, the caffeinated courage that comes um, either in your coffee or your, your caffeinated beverages. We're going to be talking to the the expert on the subject about consumption of caffeine. Uh, Is it good for us, really? What does it do? How does it work on us? And the pros and the cons. Um, Getting into it, folks. Interesting interesting topic. Um, Instead of just not knowing and maybe feeling guilty for how much caffeine you're consuming, maybe it's time that uh, let's just get informed, find out how to make better choices about it. We'll stick with us, please. We will be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, millions of people consume caffeine as a means of waking up each morning, staying up late to reach their deadlines, or simply to get an extra boost of energy in the middle of a long day from coffee, coffee, or from coffee, tea, soda, and countless energy drinks. The choices for caffeine are practically endless. For years now, many have warned and questioned the safety of health and healthfulness of caffeine consumption. But now researchers at Johns Hopkins University have discovered caffeine consumption might be helpful or more helpful than we realize. It actually may improve your memory, believe it or not. Some of the research there, uh, researchers have found that caffeine improved specific memories for at least 24 hours. Joining us today live from Baltimore, Maryland, we have Dr. Maggie Sweeney, one of the researchers of this study at John Hopkins University. Dr. Maggie Sweeney, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Okay, you have to help us with the caffeine conundrum. Because every every story we hear, a couple of years ago there was a story out that talked about, you know, caffeine makes it harder for you to manage your emotions and re- and regulate and, and understand emotions. Um, and yet then we hear your study that talks about memories and, and how caffeine might improve our memories. Overall... Is it healthy? Is it safe? Should we be consuming caffeine? Well, I think, you know, like a lot of things, caffeine doesn't seem to be all good or, or all bad. Um, so, so most of what, what I do is actually related to um, how caffeine use might, might become problematic in some people hmm. um, and also just basic effects of caffeine. 
Um, but I'm definitely fami- familiar with the studies um, about memory and how there can be benefits to caffeine. Um, but the general wisdom is that consuming a moderate amount of caffeine, which would be around 400 milligrams a day, which is about a, a little more than what you'd expect in a 16-ounce cup of brewed coffee. So that's kind of the size of the to-go mugs that you okay, might have. Okay, yeah. Uh, that, that does not appear harmful for most individuals. And there's some evidence to suggest that caffeine might even have protective effects against some diseases. So you, you mentioned memory, but there's also diseases like liver cirrhosis, Parkinson's, and even depression that caffeine uh, might protect against. Huh. Now, so, on the other hand, yeah. you know, some, some research suggests that for a subset of individuals, caffeine consumption can cause them clinical problems. Uh, it seems like it could enhance anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or and, and other, you know, uh, if you tend to worry, if you tend to be preoccupied with stuff, does it? I mean, because what? Maybe talk to us about the mechanism of caffeine. How does it work? What What does it do to our body? That um, because I guess once we start figuring out what part of our body it's impacting, that might right. lead to more information. Right. Well, so caffeine acts as an antagonist, so it it fights the effects of um, adenosine. So. Um, it block, by blocking adenosine in the body, um, the caffeine produces a lot of effects that are opposite to adenosine. Now, adenosine produces drowsiness. Hmm. So if caffeine produces effects that are opposite to that, that includes stimulant effects like improved mood, increased uh, breathing rate, increased gastrointestinal activity. Uh, so it has a, a same kind of stimulant-like effects that some other drugs might have. Um, That's so interesting. That, yeah, because Anything because it's that's it, as, with that it might it might uh, strengthen that. Does the talk about the adrenaline and and uh, because I, I don't know if it's even a real thing, but I keep hearing about people whose adrenal glands are shot or you know they're just exhausted because they're so stressed throughout their life. Um, it, does caffeine contribute to like adrenal overload eventually? Is it is it a stressor then on our body if we take too much in? You know, in ter- I'm not sure in terms of the, you know, interplay of like of adrenaline in there, but definitely, you know, one of the fronts that caffeine, uh, related to caffeine use, is con- caffeine intoxication, which is, uh, you know, considered drinking too much caffeine. So that definitely can result in nervousness, restlessness, agitation, insomnia, um, you know, irregular heart, even hmm. you know, more serious things like irregular heartbeat. Man, I mean, and I, anybody that consumes caffeine has probably felt what it feels like to have too much on board. Mm-hmm. It really is a drug. I have relatives that are medical doctors, and they actually consume their caffeine not like the rest of us. Like we, we consume it by ounces. Mm-hmm. They consume it really by milligrams. Like I have family members that like, yeah, I need some, I need some caffeine, and they just go drink enough to get the milligrams they need. Um, if we're talking about 400 milligrams is about, I guess, kind of the recommended dose, um, how, how, what would that look like in, in Diet Coke? Does Diet Coke or any of the any caffeinated beverages, does it have more caffeine than, than coffee? Actually, that's a really common um, misconception that, but is that caffeinated sodas um, or even energy drinks may have more caffeine than your typical cup of brewed coffee. Actually, energy drinks sometimes um, may have less. Hmm. Um, so a Red, a Red Bull, for example, has around 80 milligrams for caffeine in one of those little cans, whereas a cup of that, that's about the same as a cup of coffee. Um, 
but some, you know, different brands might have a little bit more. But, you know, in terms of um, soda, particularly, you know, diet sodas and, and Coca-Cola, they usually have a lot less per ounce than coffee. And, and really, your, your research shows um, no negative effects, I guess, up to 400 milligrams on the average well, person. It actually varies quite a bit, so that's why you okay, know, yeah. that's what we that's what they've generally come down to recommend. But we've seen people who have come in to us who've had significant clinical problems, such as you know missing missing work because of their caffeine use, you know really severe withdrawal because of their caffeine use, and they have consumed less than four hundred. So hmm. people vary in their sensitivity. Yeah. I think it's really important just to pay attention to how your body feels when you do uh, when you have and don't have your typical amount of caffeine. Well, isn't that like that should be the rule for everyone, right? You <laughs> you need to know yourself, right? Right, and, absolutely. And I mean, there's some people that just probably shouldn't go near it because of how it affects them, um, and others probably can't go anywhere without being near it. Um, yeah. Talk to us about your research that, and the impact on memory. How does caffeine impact uh, our memory, long-term, short-term? Um, well, um, there's, some, so this, uh, there's some research that suggests that caffeine um, has protective effects against cognitive decline. So thing, diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, um, there may be effects of consuming coffee to have decreased cognitive decline. So hmm. if you have less cognitive decline, that means that you're staying in good mental uh, mental cognitive health for longer than people who didn't than who, people who don't use caffeine. Um, and that effect is stronger in women than in men. So women might have an additional benefit of, of caffeine use. Interesting. Uh, why, why so? Do you think why? Uh, why is it different for women? No, we're not sure yet. No There's idea. A lot too that some of these research studies are correlational, so we don't know necessarily whether it's the caffeine. Um, maybe it's some other um, compounds in coffee, um, and maybe it's something else about people's lifestyles that has to do um, with their decreased decline. But I think we have a a pretty good understanding that. Caffeine, uh, caffeine itself is likely the main driver of some of these, um, you know, cognitive benefits. This protection against cognitive decline. Well, what do you think was going on? Um, I don't know, five hundred years ago was because it's not. I, well, maybe they were grabbing coffee beans and just <laughs> sucking on them, but at some point, uh, because this the, the caffeine has become this addictive. It seems like quality or benefit that they can put in our drinks. And I used to think it was a marketing ploy to just get us to keep buying more drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, I mean, it really is a medicine. It's a, it's a, it's a chemical medicine. Yes, it's definitely a drug. It's a psychoactive drug, meaning it changes the, it's a drug that changes the way you feel. Um, And I think that when you say about it's it's addictive, um, I think, it, you know, we know that it can maintain, it, it maintains our behavior because you can talk to anybody, you know, just do a quick internet search about all the joke coffee cups about I'm not able to do my work until yeah. <laughs> I have my coffee. Right. Um, so I think it maintains us through a couple of reasons. I think one is through the positive reinforcing effects of the caffeine. So we know it improves mood, um, you know, and then also maybe if you go drink coffee regularly, our body gets used to it. And uh, if you go without it, you can have withdrawal symptoms that can be pretty severe. So you want to have that coffee to avoid withdrawal. So you're, you know, removing those negative consequences of not drinking your coffee by 
maintaining that habit. Yeah, right. And I mean, then the headaches. People talk mm-hmm. about the headaches, which is, I guess, mm-hmm. a sign that you're you're needing your fix. Mm-hmm. Does it? Does it? And I mean, I guess, does it improve vascular circulation? That's what some would think. Is it? Is it help us that way? It has. Inc- it increases heart rate um, and increases kind of gastrointestinal activity. Um, so it just kind of it speeds things up a little bit. Um, and that can be a good thing. Um, you know, for, I don't know, some people, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's improving, it improves their mood and might give them a feeling of like greater energy. Um, but then if you have too much, it can kind of go on the other side. And then also if you drink it regularly and go without, you might feel more fatigued than you would have if you didn't drink it regularly. Hmm. And, um, and let, let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to come back and have you talk about if if somebody's trying to kind of come off of of caffeine, um, what are some ways that they can they can do that? What are the what's the impact of coming coming down off of it? Trying to cut back, maybe moderate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to just get some ideas on a healthier way to do that, um, or do you just you know cold turkey. We'll talk uh, more with Dr. Maggie Sweeney and uh, her research there from the um, the University, uh, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. Take a break here, folks. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we are talking with Dr. Maggie Sweeney, who uh, is an expert from Johns, uh, John Hopkins University. She is a researcher on caffeine consumption, and uh, she's been cited in many articles um, about caffeine. She's been teaching us today, you know, the, there's certain levels that the FDA and others would recommend you don't exceed maybe 400 milligrams a day. Um, but really, it's it's very much caffeine's a very personal thing because it's going to impact your body differently than it might someone else's. So you got to know yourself. And uh, Dr. Maggie Sweeney's joining us again from Baltimore, Maryland. Maggie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And you got your doctorate at Utah State here. Yes, it's great to talk to a Utah, maybe a Utah-centered crowd. Yes, you're coming home. And then they stole you away to John Hopkins. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Well, maybe I'll come back. You'll have to come back. And when you do, bring some Coke, please. Um, <laughs> this the 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 caffeine. You know, it's a, it's an interesting thing because it, we know it impacts us. Many people just flat out can't start their day without some of it. Is in the end, um, just overall, are are we healthier not using it? I think it really depends on whether caffeine use causes significant problems for you. And so that's, you talked about knowing yourself. I think that's part of it too. So you might be able to have a, have a habit of caffeine use where you do have to have it in the morning um, and you don't, you have withdrawal symptoms when you don't have it, but you know, it's not causing you any significant impairment. So it's not as if you're late for work because you had to go out of your way to get coffee. Mm -hmm. 
Um, And if it's not causing you, you know, medical problems or problems at work or problems with your family, then maybe it's not something that you could really say it's an addiction or something that's impairment. Um, And and maybe in that case, you know, the protective effects kind of outweigh the harms. But I think for a subset of people, it causes them significant problems. And they may, you know, have been told by their doctor that they should cut back because of a medical problem like gastrointestinal problems, insomnia, anxiety, irregular mm. heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, like if, if it's not if it's not enhancing your life, and two, I guess if your entire social life revolves around having to get a fountain drink at the local <laughs> gas station, and all your friends come from that gas station, mm-hmm. maybe maybe you need to branch out socially. <laughs> That's possible. Um, I, I just noticed with me, uh, I I'll go if I go get a fountain drink or. Um, a soda, then a lot of times I'm also buying junk food. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, you might get addicted to the caffeine or like the caffeine and it might be a benefit to you, but it also might, you know, include other unhealthy things. Yeah, I think it's something important to consider that when you're having your cup of coffee, do you put a lot of sugar and, you know, other, you know, fattening things in, in the drink? Um, that might be contributing to poor overall health. But um, the caffeine, the caffeine itself, um, we usually just kind of look at it. Caffeine is caffeine, mm-hmm. but it comes in different vehicles. So if it comes in a sugary energy drink, that might have a different implication. For well, people. and notice, I think there's something to this because the the coffee stores and shops, they even have to name the drinks funny things just to make mm-hmm. you feel good about ordering it because <laughs> it's got so much sugar and so much and other fattening things in it. Yeah, let me just have one of those. Um, talk about the kind of if the the if you're coming off of caffeine, this mm-hmm. this this uh, not the addiction side of it, but your brain many get the the headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, they get they they have the they have these desires to go get it. What would be a healthier way to cut down if you were trying to cut down on your caffeine use? So in our in our study, um, what we have done is as I advise people to cut back on caffeine gradually. So I think a lot of people have experienced firsthand that if you go right away to no caffeine when you have been having it regularly, you might get some really nasty headaches and other more serious withdrawal symptoms. But if you gradually reduce your caffeine use by a certain percentage, then you can avoid some of those severe withdrawal symptoms. And so I would just recommend tapering it down. So if you used to drink three cups of coffee a day, maybe go to two and a half or, um, you know, and then step it, step it down. And a helpful way to do that is by mixing decaffeinated coffee with regular coffee. Um, so you can do it very subtly and gradually that way to avoid, you know, your body kind of coming back at you. Yeah. And then you can, I mean, if, if it improves your life and if it improves your mood, I mean, it could still work for you. You could just do it at lighter doses. Absolutely. I think a lot of people have found that. So that's kind of where I am with it. I don't I do drink caffeine, but I don't drink it regularly. And what I find is that it actually has more of an effect um, than it did when I was drinking it every day. Yeah. Interesting. And then, then, yeah, then it actually serves its purpose. Exactly. Exactly. Then you're not just using it to come back out of withdrawal. How long How long does caffeine stay in your system? Um and is there because if it does impact sleep, if if it for you mm-hmm. it impacts sleep, how soon in the day do you need to quit drinking it in order to have it not be impacting your sleep? 
I've seen that vary so much from person to person. Um, I think people recognize it within themselves. Some people I've talked to say, oh, I can have it in the afternoon and it's not a problem um, with my sleep. But others, they say, if I drink anything afternoon, uh, you know, yeah. I have trouble sleeping. So I think it varies and it also depends on the amount. So if you have a small amount of coffee in the afternoon, it might not negatively affect your sleep. But if you, you know, continually drink throughout the day, it'll take a while to get out of your system. Well, you know what you keep demanding from us, Maggie, that we really know ourselves. <laughs> I think I think it's important because just like many other things, you know, there's no hard and fast rules that I, you can't tell one person uh, that they can drink 400 milligrams a day and have no problems. Um, and then you you also have to be mindful of all the you know positive things that it does seem to have an effect. So it's all in a balance. What um, what impact does it have on children? Now, I have. A bunch of kids that, for some reason, they've picked up the marketing from the Mountain Dew tour. Mm-hmm. And my son, I have, like, if if we're going to go to the store and he wants a treat, what he wants is, like, a Mountain Dew, mm-hmm. which I'm like, no. I mean, back in my day, <laughs> Mountain Dew was, like, second. I mean, it was only, it was equaled only by crack cocaine because <laughs> it was, like, so supposedly strong in caffeine. Should kids be drinking caffeine and and? Or is it – what would you think of that as a researcher? I, I would say that, um, it, you know, it it seems to be a better idea not to. I mean, if if you had to go with one or the other, and just because, you know, at least in very modest amounts. I think the primary reason for kids is that we don't know how it might affect their sensitivity to other substances in the future. So it might be by engaging this system, this neurotransmitter systems with um, these psychoactive drugs, you might be increasing their propensity of picking up other things, you know, increasing their sensitivity if they were to try other things like alcohol mm. in the future. Um, but the other thought is just day to day, if it impacts negatively sleep, then for anyone, children or adults, sleep is really important for learning and memory. So if caffeine is negatively affecting sleep, it might negatively affect school performance. Um, so I mean that's probably probably uh, in in moderation or yeah. minimal amounts. Yeah, and and you know maybe not the due tour under twelve, under fourteen, <laughs> under sixteen. Um, when when you think about uh, your research and your future research, Maggie, on this subject, where where do you see the research heading? What's next? What are you going to be studying next? What I'm really interested in is um, caffeine in in different vehicles. So, you know, we're all kind of used to coffee drinking, uh, and we've studied that a lot. But I think energy drinks is a really interesting place because Hmm. they're relatively new in the marketplace, and they're very popular among young people. Um, And I think that and and edible caffeine, um, you know, that can be uh, very high doses of caffeine in a more candy-like thing. Yeah, what's that about? Why why are we doing that? (laughs) Um, well, I've talked to some people about it, and they say that it's it's pretty tasty. Okay. <laughs> um, but it it it, it can't you can't be dangerous um, in the sense that it's easy to eat a, a lot of caffeinated gummy bears. It's not as easy to drink three or four you know venti Starbucks. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Huh? So so now the the mechanism to get the caffeine in is a lot easier. You could mm-hmm. overdose on gummy bears. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just something to be uh, mindful of in our lives because it's something that is. In everything, you know, people put it in things you wouldn't necessarily expect, mm-hmm. and so you need to remember that it could be a source of it could be a source of some of your, some problems. I mean, if they're putting vitamins in gummy bears, why not caffeine? <laughs> yep, 
sad. Yes. <laughs> it's a sad day that we're coming to. What um, What about uh, the powders? Now the days there, you can actually go get caffeine powder. You can go online and just right. buy a keg of caffeine powder. Mm-hmm. That seems really dangerous because of the dosing. Right. So there, you know, in in coffee, I think in some of that, in some of the drinks, it moderates itself because it's really, you know, it's uncomfortable to drink too much, um, you know, Starbucks. And right. it's uncomfortable to drink too much um, energy drink. But when you have a powder, it's a little bit easier to put too much in there. Um, you know, at the at the end of the day, you know, caffeine is caffeine. And if you have the small amount that you might expect, then it will have the same effects in the powder as it did in the in the coffee. But it's, it's a lot easier to put a couple tablespoons, which could be really dangerous and, and uh, cause like fatal, has caused fatal complications in a few cases. Hmm. That's true. I mean, and you, every once in a while... You'll hear a story of, you know, a woman that died of uh, caffeine overdose because she drank however many, like 12 liters of mm-hmm. Coke. I mean, yeah. it's, it is it, it can go that far. But again, just the average consumer, just know yourself, right. know your body. Absolutely. Hey, as we wrap this up, Maggie, anything else we need to know about? Um, any other watch outs when it comes to caffeine and our health? Um. I think um, I think it's just something to be aware of. Uh, we don't always pay attention to it because uh, it's so integrated into our lives. So, you know, whether for the positives or negatives, I would just encourage people to, to think about it. It's great. Great advice. Great re- research. Dr. Maggie Sweeney, thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. I appreciate your great, uh, your great research and everybody there at Johns Hopkins for getting into this, looking into it deeper. Again, folks, I think there will always be studies one way or another – and again, there's benefits, there's there's problems with it, there's complications that can come. Uh, but this is your body; it's yours. You're consuming it, so make sure that you uh, do what you're supposed to do with your body, right? Know yourself, and uh, let's learn to say no too. I mean, you don't have to have the candy just because it exists. Caffeine candy, caffeinated candy. Anyway, we'll take a break, my friends. Come back, uh, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, caffeine, uh, there's, a, there's a website you can go to, caffeineinformer.com. And everybody's got their own kind of battle, right? You need, you need the energy to get through the day, and then you consume caffeine, and sometimes it feels like it's helping you, but many times you might feel like it's hurting you. So if you've been trying to detox from caffeine and maybe lower your amounts... As we were talking about with Maggie Sweeney, here are some signs of withdrawal, right? So you may you may have been addicted to the little caffeinated beverages. Here's some signs that you're going through withdrawal symptoms. Number one, headaches. Uh, usually starts behind the eyes, uh, moves up to the front of the head, but a caffeine headache, uh, very real thing. Sleepiness, obviously. You're going to be tired, even maybe more tired than normal, and it's difficult. If you're irritable... And by the way, this, these, fifth, these are 15 signs of caffeine withdrawal symptoms. There are also 15 signs that you're working with Ben. Ben Wasden. Hold on, what? Yeah, this is pretty much my day. 
headache, sleepiness, irritability. We'll talk about this later. Lethargy. Forget about productivity at this stage because you'll be unmotivated to do anything. You Do you consume much caffeine, Benny? You know, I have the power to control your mic, Matt. That's true. Constipation. Not to be irritable, but... <laughs> Man, you seem irritable. Did you get much sleep last night? No, I, I had some caffeine. Yeah. Uh, constipation's another sign of withdrawal. Caffeine stimulates the bowel, so without it, daily, without the daily dose, you know, your colon gets a little cranky, too. This is all according to the caffeineinformer.com. Uh, depression. Caffeine withdrawal can take away all hope for living with some. Temporary blues are one thing. But if you already struggle with depression and you've been using caffeine as a stimulant, it might, you know, you might feel a little more depressed. Muscle pain, stiffness, cramping, lack of concentration, flu-like symptoms, stuffy nose, blocked sinuses, sinus pressure have all been reported by people who are withdrawing from caffeine. This is crazy. Insomnia, nausea, vomiting. Some people can't even think about food the first couple of days of withdrawal, which compounds the feeling of lethargy, right? It's probably your body is used to being a little amped. And, and uh, now that you're pulling away from the, uh, the caffeine that's amping you, you're, you're gonna have, your body's going to have to settle. And then you start thinking, oh, see, I don't want to go back to this body, the body that <laughs> can't go to the bathroom and has nausea and bleh. Brain fog. Withdrawal can cause some people to experience brain fog, which is described as the difficulty of having coherent thoughts, difficulty thinking, and the difficulty of doing common tasks. I feel like these are also signs of old age. So Mm. we probably share the symptoms. No. That was really rude. You You just offended half of our audience. I mean... Oh, I wasn't talking about them. Yeah, you just said old age, and then you inferred me, and I'm young. I'm 46. Uh, that only feels old to you young kids, 20-somethings, young babies. Um, dizziness and heart rhythm abnormalities. So, it's a, I mean, it's a big deal. If you're going to back off caffeine, you know, there might be some consequences. But according to the research, you may not need to fully um, – a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't put anything that's not natural in my body. Well, many would argue a caffeine's natural. You can find it in nature. Like you can find it at your everyday Seven Eleven. It's very natural there. <laughs> anyway, if you're going to choose to do it, I more power to you. I think it's great. And more importantly, know yourself. I mean, one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is become self-aware. If we would manage our health a little bit more and actually tune in, what if you just stopped eating when you were full? The problem is your body doesn't know you're full because you're shoveling so much food in your mouth so fast. But if you'd slow down, and my wife is really good at this, where she'll just she'll she'll undereat. In my mind, it's undereating because you're, she's less bloated. But she just she'll just stop. And we had sushi the other night, and she's like, "Doesn't that just feel great? You're just." We're not stuffed, but you're full. And my body was thinking, well, man, I feel like I need to be like so sick I can't walk out of the restaurant. Just let's tune into our bodies. Let's tune into what our, what our body is telling us. 
Have you ever been to a restaurant that you know makes you sick, but you keep going? Like I know, I know I'm not going to feel good after, but oh, you got to try the burrito. There's a restaurant here in Utah, I won't name names, but I get sick every time I go there, but we can't stop. Not messed up. What is our deal? So um, think about it. We're here just to give you the information you need, right? To live longer, to love stronger. We can't make the decision for you, but we can inform you about your decisions. And so uh, I would keep it away from the kids. You know, that's probably the last thing they need to get started on. My kids are always like, how come you can drink it, but we can't drink it? And I'm like, because look, dad's already dying. Dad's on his way out. It's that old age thing. No, it's this rough life I've lived. It's the plantar. By the way, plantar, almost perfectly healed now. I have no... I'm back. I'm probably going to start playing pro ball next spring. So, with the Red Sox. That's it. Hour number one, folks. In the can. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More ideas, more tools for you to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on the show to give you the tools, the information, the insight, just the guests you need to hear from. They're uh, to hopefully help you see the good in the world. Today is no different, by the way. Happy Mickey Mouse birthday. It's Mickey Mouse's birthday. Isn't that great, Ben? Ben loves Mickey Mouse. Uh, in fact, he comes in always talking in that high-pitched voice, just like Mickey does every day. My favorite's the ears that yeah. I wear every Tuesday. And those big gloves. Mm-hmm. Those big white gloves, that's why you ha- That's why you struggle pushing the buttons. <laughs> that's why you struggle, like, running the board because you got your Mickey Mouse gloves on. Mickey Mouse is the uh, funny animal cartoon character, right? The official mascot of the Walt Disney Company. He was created in 1928 on this day, November 18th. The anthropomorphic mouse who typically wears red shorts large yellow shoes and white gloves, has become one of the most recognizable cartoon characters in the world. His first uh, movie was, it was his first single test screening, was called Playing Crazy. But Mickey officially debuted in the short film Steamboat Willie, 1928. And no, Ben, I did not watch it live. Well, that's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Mickey has appeared in 130 films, including The Band Concert, Brave Little Taylor, and Fantasia. Man, he's had quite a career. And he's a mouse, which is in my house right now. We don't like Mickey. I feel if you're a mouse and you can make that for yourself, anything's possible for anybody. That's the American dream. Oh, yeah. I mean, he went from rodent, you know, to rock star. Mickey Mouse. 
I think a mouse that can just put trousers on, I think that's a big deal. You know what I mean? To button little suspenders. Do you know how hard that is for a mouse? The lack of opposable thumbs. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday to Mickey Mouse. And uh, no more fitting uh, day than today to bring on our guest in just a few minutes. Tyler Carter will be joining us. Uh, Tyler is a uh, – he was an animator on the Peanuts movie, right? And so how do you put together a movie – so he's going to be talking to us about – the background and and basically the putting together of a movie um, that honors Charles Schultz, the creator of the whole gang, Peanuts and and Charlie Brown, Snoopy, the whole gang. But how do you do that and not blow it? I mean that that cartoon has been seen by everyone. The comic strip, the cartoon, yeah. yeah. The the other aspect that's difficult is they made it kind of a 3D movie. Yeah, so yeah. Now, not 3D in the sense you need glasses, but 3D in, and they, they made it into a, a modern cartoon. So it's not flat. Right. There's depth to it. And there's it's, a lot of motions and movements uh-huh. of these characters. They're kind of iconic. Yeah. But they have to change them for the new format. And how do you do that and not and it, stay true to the original true. but also update it We've, for the new medium? For example, we may not have ever really seen the back of – uh, Charlie Brown's head. Right. He may have hair. We so, don't know. So this, yeah, maybe he's got like a mullet. Maybe Charlie's got a little mullet, but it's, but they had to get it correct. So they, they literally went through, I think, 500 different looks of Charlie Brown and they had to come up with the kind of idyllic measurement metric yeah. for what he looked like because Charles Schultz would draw him a little differently every time because he, he wasn't, Using a was, computer, using a freehand, yeah. So every time it was a little different. So they had to create the idea. Now that's that's just to get the images right. But then how do you get, for example, Snoopy in this whole in this whole uh, uh, movie that's coming out, Peanuts? Snoopy has this whole imaginary world. Yes, so he's the, he's, he's fighting the Red Baron created, half the time, right? right? Yeah. So Tyler Carter, our guest, is one of the great contributors that put together this imaginary world. And we're going to be finding out the background of the Peanuts movie. Anyway, fascinating stuff. Uh, Tyler Carter will be with us in just a minute. By the way, also on a, a graduate of Brigham Young University. So uh, we'll get that in there as well. So stick with us. We'll talk to Tyler in a minute. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the country. Thanks, Matt. French police say the raid on a suburban Paris apartment Wednesday morning came right on time. The suspects were about to move on some kind of operation, according to authorities. One woman reportedly detonated a suicide vest during the raid, while one man was killed and seven others were arrested. The police were following leads as they pursue the man who they believe to be the mastermind behind the Paris attacks. While President Obama seems to agree with the Russian prime minister who said that the best way to fight ISIS is to unite the West and Russian efforts, President Obama says there is a catch. Russia must first help end the Syrian war. Just days after Russia launched its first significant strikes against the ISIS stronghold of Raqqa, President Obama extended an offer. Russia in recent days has switched from bombing groups that are against the Syrian government to bombing ISIS itself. Uh, Vladimir Putin also said, and this is a this is a quote. He says, "To forgive them is up to God, but to send them to Him is up to me." <laughs> wow! 
So he's, you know. See, now that's tough rhetoric he's right mo- there. He's motivated. Look, I'm going to let God take care of his work, but I'm going to be sending these people to God. This, of course, is after the uh, evidence showed that the airline crash yeah. in Egypt was in a bombing, and uh, ISIS took credit for that. The item that is making a coalition difficult is the disagreement over the fate of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Russia says we can't, he needs to stay in power until there is a vote to take him out or not yeah, from the people. Well, think of that. Putin's worried about democracy. Or his military alliance with, right. with Syria yeah. and the port that he has I there. I mean, now he really is worried about it. Interesting. Yeah. And, so the, the, and, and the American and Western-led coalition would like Assad taken out of power. Hmm. So that's really the hang-up. Senator John Kerry met with French President Hollande on Tuesday. Later, in an interview, Secretary Kerry said that for the Obama administration, they will continue to seek regional military support to combat ISIS, or as he calls it, Daesh. One of the lessons of Iraq is that it doesn't have to be American soldiers who are on the ground in order to be able to fight the fight. It may take a little longer, it's tougher, who knows. But if we don't empower them to have the control over their communities, then when you leave, Dash will move right back in. Russia also shares this viewpoint as they don't seem very motivated to commit ground troops to the fight. Well, isn't this... Okay, somewhere in Russia... Somewhere in France and somewhere in the United States, it seems like you could get a bunch of other freedom fighters to go in and fight and just pay them. Someone brought that idea up a couple months back. Because like there are people that would love to go fight Yeah, in all of these countries. I guess then that's not government against government. That's yeah. it's mercenaries and it's just kind of out of control. But you know how many people would just love a job right now? And because, you know, I, they're an Apache helicopter pilot. They're, they don't have an Apache in their neighborhood. Right. And they want to get back in the fight. Resources are short, yes. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Congress will move swiftly towards new legislation reacting to the Paris terror attacks, opting to vote on a bill placing restrictions on Iraq and Syrian refugees on Thursday. In short term, the bill will force a pause in the admission of such refugees, while the Obama administration implements a more vigorous screening process. Under the new rules, Iraq and Syria refugees would only be admitted to the U.S. if the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI director, and the director of national intelligence unanimously agree to certify to Congress that each refugee is not a security threat. Hmm. See, that's a tougher deal. That's good. Now everyone can relax. Two Air France flights traveling to the to U.S. and Paris were uh, diverted after anonymous bomb threats were phoned in last night. Uh, one of them was flying from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City, landed in Salt Lake City. The other one landed in uh, Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. It was leaving uh, Washington, D.C., headed to Paris. Both were searched. Authorities said the, the investigators found no credible threats. But because of the uh, current situation, both they, they treated it as if there was a problem. Uh, there were reports from people on board they were uh, of the flight that landed in Salt Lake City. They were told, uh, we have an emergency, we have to land. They didn't tell them any more information than that until they landed. And then they said, eh, there's a bomb threat. Uh. And then people were, you know, were worried. But they waited until afterwards they said there was a stewardess. They didn't even tell the stewardess exactly what was happening until they landed. And then, uh, you know, one, I, I, there's reports one of them broke down, emotionally crying type of thing. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a scary situation. But, you know, you tell them that in the air and it's going to be, you know, panic and, you know, she, you kind of control the information until it's, it's oh, on man. the ground. So interesting uh, events happening 
as we uh, continue to move through this in the early it's a crazy few days again after the it's attacks. just like it's just like post boston marathon bombing post 911 lots of stories and the crazy thing is a bomb threat on two airlines you know basically messed up two airlines or messed up one airline air france i mean you could just ruin the entire industry by throwing in enough bomb scares that's another technique. Hmm. Crazy stuff. Anyway, let's go to a little bit lighter uh, news and information. In a minute, we're going to be joined by Tyler Carter. He is um, he was uh, involved in this movie that's coming out, the Peanuts movie, which is honoring Charles Schultz, right? And great old Snoopy, Charlie Brown, all that gang. And he's going to be joining us um, to to talk us through some of his work on that movie. What's it like to try to recreate and make... A movie. I mean, think about it. one of the last movies with Charlie Brown was Charlie Brown's Christmas. This is a big deal. We're going to take a break, come back. Tyler Carter will be joining us and uh, be talking about his work on the Peanuts movie. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. One is the loneliest number. So, so true. This is such a sad song. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. We had promised you Tyler Carter, uh, one of the animators on the Peanuts movie, but uh, we just got a call that he had an emergency and he had to take somebody to a hospital. So we're going to let him... We're going to let him go. We're, we could have, you know, held strong and said, no, 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 You promised us. But to, instead, we're, we wanted to talk about another uh, little uh, issue that comes up a lot when I talk to my clients. Here's the question. Very simply, and I need your answer. Uh, we'll go around the horn. Even Ben, we'll let you talk on this one, Ben. Do, do guys need a best friend? Terry South. Does, do you as a man, do you have a hankering for a best friend? Yes and no. How's yeah. that? Yeah. At times you want someone maybe to watch the game with. Yeah. Because it's a lot more enjoyable when someone's with you to watch the game. Right. In my mind, I go, well, I have my brother. Right. If I really want to watch a game with somebody, I can call him. I can go over to his house, watch the game. And you can watch it on his TV, his system. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's perfect. I can do that. But do I need a friend? Or do I need to have a, right. someone I can go have a, a guy's night out with? Mm-hmm. No. See, I don't want a guy's night out. <laughs> it sounds like work. Like, seriously. <laughs> I'd rather have a guy's night in where I can just sit in my jammies, sit in my silk jammies. Why are you laughing, Ben? See, what kind of friend are you? I wasn't laughing. No, you were laughing. You I sh- was reminiscing. About you sitting in your jammies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the Peanuts characters on it, like the, you know, Charlie Brown, Snoopy. Yeah. Ben, do, do guys need a best friend? You're on col- you're on a college campus. Do you have a best friend that you, like, call every hour? Jimmy, you won't believe what happened to me. Well, I mean, I have friends that I'd rather do things with than other friends, but I don't think. Yeah. I don't share my feelings with. Guys. Yeah. Well, you share them a lot with your therapist. That's You're probably feeling doubt. Yeah, 
I mean, you share them with but me. But that's what a therapist is for, right? Yeah. I mean, you share a lot with me. I think I consider us friends. Now, a best friend, would that be someone you share emotions with, someone you share, I mean, more than just kind of superficial? Yeah. Like my wife would say, you need somebody to have a good cry with. Hmm. I would never cry around another guy. <laughs> See, this is what I think is different. And I, I'll, in a minute, I'll give you my take on it and some tools that I teach. But we're, I think we're just different. And it's not even all men. Some men love friends and they need friends. But watch something that's really weird. When a man has a really amazing best friend and they get along incredibly well, what do we call that? And we, they talk a lot. They're best buddies. I know it's not Matt and the Millennials. Yeah, no, that's that's but yeah, that's the antithesis. People do call those bromances. Bromance. Now watch. So the minute a man is really close with another man, we call it a bromance, mm-hmm. which suggests and then what? they immediately deny it. Like no, well, right? So it almost we kind of make fun of them as being like they're dating. Right. So you try to it almost you're trying to demasculate whatever that is. That's right. That's probably one of the things that happens in our society is we emasculate the liking of a man and another man at a close level, especially one where we share feelings that are close. And then it seems like it's too intimate. So maybe men socially, we've been told we probably ought not get too close with our buddies but when did that happen? I don't know. When I don't remember ever being told that. I had friends when I was a kid. I don't think anybody tells it to. It's it's this subtle socialization. Otherwise, why are we why are we saying that we want our husband to have a best friend, but then we call it a bromance when they're too close? Hmm. And you hear it all over. You know, uh, the Bachelor show. Apparently, a bunch of the guys get close. I've never. I mean, I've watched it. I've never watched it enough to care. But, I mean, I do have a T-shirt and a poster, but that's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> the poster. But the, they call the guys that are getting all too close and chummy, they call them bromances. Hmm. It's just, it's just weird because why would you make it like a romance when it's just a guy being close with a buddy? Right. And then you promote it, but then you kind of – And then society wants men to have more feelings. So one of the things that might be happening to us – and I think millennials are different in this regard. Millennials are probably more likely to have friends that they share stuff with than maybe the older gen – gens. Some of the research is actually hmm. showing that. Part of that is because their moms, millennials' moms, raised them – with more focus on emotion and feeling, according to some research. Wow. Where the older generation, it was kind of more institutionalized, maybe socialized that, eh. Be tough. Be tough. Don't show your emotions. But I don't know. I, they, but they do believe that the millennials are a little more apt to have friends, to keep their friend groups alive. They actually have friend, I can't believe this, but friend Christmas cards. Really? So a group of buddies that have you know grown up together will actually put together a Christmas card as a bunch as friends. Okay. Now I don't know who they send the cards to. Wouldn't you send them to your friends? Yeah. But they're all in the cards. Okay, so. so I'm going to send you a card, Jimmy. I'm going to send you a card, Timmy. I'm going to send you a card, Wally. Wow. Maybe I'm just out of touch, but I've never heard of this. Yeah, hmm. it's it's just the cool people are doing it. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It's so. Do men need close friends? My personal belief is 
every human being needs someone. We need people close to us. But uh, I'm going to show you that maybe men are getting that in different ways. Right? So I might not be getting my friend from one person that I call my friend. I might be getting it from a coworker. Right? So I, I say that men tend to bond and socialize through convenience, not necessarily over connection. So That's we don't, totally me. We don't socialize to connect per se. We might socialize based on convenience. So whoever's closest to us, they become our friends. See, I apologize to people all the time. It's like I don't remember your name. Yeah. I see you every day. Yeah. You, you just say, hey, bud. But I don't have any – like you, what you do in yeah. your life doesn't affect yeah. me, so I haven't remembered your name. Right. Hey, Terry, what's my name? Well, you affect me. I need you here, Ben. Okay. Remember I told you. Oh, if you his can't, name Ben? If he doesn't show up, that Ben has Bart. a standing order. That if he is injured or possibly near death, Maybe. I need a text yeah. so that I know he won't be here to run the show. What if he's injured? Just let me know. That's what if all his I need hands to know? are broken? <laughs> he still better text. But that's but, it. Yeah, so, so, know, like we're friends. We're friends. But I wouldn't like – we wouldn't call each other to go watch the game. Yeah. I mean we would if like there was but, no one else alive. But you want to watch like cricket. I love cricket. So that's the problem. Or like, a shuffleboard. So, a shuffleboard. so <laughs> my wife would be more like my best friend. And if I'm going to share feelings, I'd probably be with her. Sometimes not, just because it's hard. Well, if, I, if I, I don't have, want her to know I have feelings. If I have like tickets to a football game, mm-hmm. my first thought is call my wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you want to go? That's it. So, you know, watch. That's convenience. My brother, when he has tickets to a, a game or something, he calls his wife first, Yeah. then he calls me. So think that through. If you have eight tickets to a game, wife first, I would then think my kids, my kids are going to go. If I, so if I can take someone to a game, I've got five boys. I would take my boys and my daughter and my son-in-law and my wife. There we go. There's the eight. And I, w- I wouldn't know what to do with the, the, the five rest of those tickets. I, I'd have well, you'd three. you give them to me. And the, the other five, like, I don't know. I don't know that many people. So, so because we tend to socialize over convenience, then we would probably go to the family network. We might go to extended family network. We might then go to other things like our work group. Cause, so we're really – men get a lot of friend talk at work. We're getting – I mean it's – but it's not like, gosh, Timmy, tell me. Are you sad? Tell me that story again. But in the same respect, you see those same people outside of the work environment. Yeah. Conversation is different. It might be different. But, a little but awkward. Like we're going to have a Christmas party. Everyone's going to be having a Christmas party coming up. Yeah. And you're going you're gonna to notice that a lot of people don't know how to go from friends at work to actually social friends. And it's just awkward. Hi, this is my wife. Wife, this is his wife. Wife. Hi, wife. Good to meet you. What do you do? And we don't go, we don't move to social very well because that's like awkward. But your spouse is your wife. Like my wife is probably excited to come to our Christmas dinner. I don't know if my wife's excited. I yeah. think she's she as she her comment was I will be there to support you. And I go that doesn't sound like yeah, that didn't to sound me. very supportive. But then I'm not very excited, not to, excited. to go to her office meetings either. But that's honestly most people aren't excited to go to their company party. No. But why? Because we're all friends and we spend so much time together. It's just it changes it to a social thing. And uh, so it's almost when socializing becomes the goal, men tend to not like it. When the goal is watching the game, we could all do the game. Yeah. Right. So if the whole company was just going instead of having dinner where you had to talk to people, if we were just going to go watch a concert, 
we'd all probably be excited to go, but we don't, we're not for socializing. Blah. I went to this uh, this meeting um, at a speech I was doing, and they had a social hour. I didn't know what to do with myself. Right. Like <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do? Am here? I supposed to talk to people? I don't even know these people. So I just went and sat and looked at at. Uh, Fenway Park. That's all I did. Just sat there and looked at the field. And, and you, stri- you try to strike up conversations, yeah. but it's like, so, hey, the weather. Wow. How about this weather? It's great. Um, so men tend to socialize on convenience, not necessarily over connection, which is different because a lot of women socialize to connect. That is their goal. Their goal is connection. They actually might even have a goal before they get to the party. I want to get closer to Judy. Right? Now, if you said, hey, I want to get closer to Judy – your wife would slap you. Absolutely. Interesting. So we'll come back. We'll, we'll continue the discussion about uh, men and friends. Do guys really need a best friend? I think we need a best friend. I really do. It doesn't necessarily mean we'd actually call them our best friend. We might call them our spouse. We might call them our kids. But we may not call them a best friend. That might set them up for failure. We'll take a break when we come back. Some more uh, rules and tools for your guy and his best friend. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you as a guide on the side. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. A little Bette Midler for you. Or as Ben just called her, Betty Midler. Betty Midler. And he's like confused, like, who's this? Who's Betty Midler? Uh, it's just not his generation. You see, you got to have friends. And a lot of people want their spouse, their husband, to have friends. Until, by the way, they do. And then the minute they've got their best friend, Vinny, and... Vinny gets all the attention the time, then they're like, you you know, you got to do something about your friends. Your friends are getting in the way. Do men need a best friend? I would say every human being needs to be connected. They need a friend. Remember, we talked about research on the show a few months ago about um, the fact that you, if you feel lonely or if you're socially isolated, you, uh, it's going to impact your health. It is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day to your health. It will cut years off of your life, being alone or being socially isolated. So do men need friends? Yes. In the general term, I personally believe – I think it's a personal thing. Um, but I feel like I have a lot of friends. But do I have a best friend? Do I have the one I just call for everything? No. I, I really – I have a family. I have a wife. I have – my sons, I have my coworkers, I have partners in business. I have all of these other people that I consider my friends. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, men tend to socialize for convenience and over convenience, not over connection. Our goal isn't usually, I need to go bond with somebody, but we do bond with people that we're close to and that we work with. Some of the research over the years has shown that men tend to bond in action, doing something, more than they do in conversation. And again, you may be different. I was raised by four women, and so I like to talk to people, and I could bond having a good conversation. Um, But I really would like to go to a game with somebody, or I really would like to, you know, 
have an activity or 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 do something, go on a trip. Uh, we'll put together a cruise and take a group of people on this cruise. And by the time I'm done on the cruise, I feel like I have a bunch of new friends. Now, they may not, you know, meet the quality and standard of friends that my wife has because she goes to lunch, you know, she goes walking with them every other day. So it might be a little different. And really when it comes down to it, if you're having an argument with your spouse about if they have enough friends, it might really be more about the fact that it depends on what we call a friend. Um, But it might be valuable as a couple to decide what we want to teach our family, our children, about friendships. I think it's a good idea that you as a couple have uh, a social life. I think your children need to see that you and your spouse go out to dinner with other couples. They need to see that there's a model and you're being a role model and, a, and, a, and an excellent example of what it's like to have friends. And, and you've all been through the experience of having a bunch of single friends and then somebody gets married and the minute they're married, they're no longer friends with the single people. But as more people get married, the marrieds go hang out and the singles and then that's great. And then all of a sudden it's when you have kids, then the ones with kids go with the ones – and it just – it kind of evolves. Your friendship groups might evolve. But I do believe everybody needs to to have somebody that they feel close to. Um, remember too that we're, we all bond the way it feels natural to us. And I, I personally believe everyone has a different way of feeling bonding and connecting. Like I was saying, um, some of the research shows that men tend to bond more in activity, doing some action – or activity, women might tend to bond more in conversation. Some other research shows that men bond shoulder to shoulder while women bond more eye to eye. Men bond like shoulder to shoulder watching a game maybe or shoulder to shoulder, you know, doing something, some service or or some community service or working cubicle to cubicle. They might bond that way more than they do in an eye to eye conversation. Um, and 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 again, that's, that's probably important to know. So just figure out, is your spouse one that needs to talk? And you'll notice if you have a really you know, verbal spouse that loves talking to people, then he probably is out talking to every neighbor, getting to know everybody. Interestingly, a lot of times you'll find that that partner is married to somebody that isn't so social. This is how we end up compensating, I think, for each other in our relationships. If one of you is really social and one of you is less social, then it could create some some tension in the relationship because one always wants to go to dinner with friends and the other always wants to stay home, right? But that could be chalked up to introversion, extroversion. So let's just be – let's just relax with our partner and remember that they're going to bond the way it feels natural. You can't force bonding and a lot of times you'll see that where – a wife gets together with her friend and the couples go out together and the maybe the wives are close but the men aren't close and you just really want your husband to bond with your best friend's husband and it's just not there. By the way, it doesn't mean you can't go to dinner but you can't force it either. So it might be good as a tool to learn how your partner wants to bond. Notice how they feel and connect to others. Do they like being social? Do they like, you know, hanging out and talking? Do they tend to be more, you know, active and want to go do active things? Do they tend to like just a conversation? How do they like to do it? Everybody's going to go about it a little bit different. Um, Everyone, by the way, I truly believe needs a person in our life that we can trust with our heart, 
that we can share our deepest and 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 biggest concerns um and it might be harder for men to do this so especially maybe with other men i think about it but there are groups that are starting out and there are even groups of you know retired uh gentlemen that gather for breakfast for example and every month they have a breakfast and in that they discuss life they discuss their health they discuss stuff that's going on they're using it to network now notice they're using a breakfast to do that they need a purpose and the breakfast might be the easiest way to make it palatable to go share other things but there is something really powerful for any of us as humans to be able to be open and vulnerable and share what's in our heart with someone else. But uh, for those ladies out there listening, you might want to be willing to make it um, okay for us to just have you be our friend, right? Um, in some ways, it might be easier. Let's say a, a man gets a, a diagnosis, a health diagnosis, a a cancer scare. He's diagnosed with prostate cancer, let's say. Who, what men do you think he's going to want to go tell? I mean, I'm not sure a lot of men are going to want to go share that. But they might share it with you. They might want to share it with their family, their kids. But that might not be something that we want to go tell everybody. There's a reason why uh, men are dying from prostate cancer, and one of the reasons might be because we're less open to talking about it. But in the end, whether it's a male friend or not, I don't know that I'd worry about your friend, your husband not having friends as long as he has other social outlets and other people that he can connect to. One of the goals I think that all of us ought to have in our relationships is we, and we probably ought to talk about it overtly and practice it, is that we we make it a safe place for our partner to share what they're feeling. Every human being needs someone that they can share their heart with. And um, in fact, Brene Brown, we've talked about her on the show before, she calls it a help me move the body friend. Everyone needs a friend that they can call and in one phone call can say, get over here, I need you to help me move a body. <laughs> and that friend just smiles and says, I'll be right there. So think about that. Do you have the friend that you would call to move the body? And the example she talks about is how one of her friends called her over and says, I need you to get over here. I need you to help me move a body. And Brene didn't answer, ask any questions. She just ran over. And she showed up and this woman's mother was visiting and her mother's an alcoholic and had passed out on the couch. And her kids were about to come home from school and she didn't want her drunk mom to be discovered drunk on the couch. So Brene and this woman moved the mother into another bedroom. And um, Brene was just there for her, didn't ask questions, didn't judge her, didn't criticize her, didn't tell her she's enabling, just was there for her. Every human being needs that. So ask yourself, are you that kind of friend? Do you have people in your life that are wanting you to be that kind of friend for them? And are you that kind of friend? And do you have that kind of friend to turn to? Do you have something? If something was going on, I had a client recently that had found something out about their spouse. They couldn't believe it. And they went to their friend to just get some feedback. Is this something I should worry about? And the friend is like, yeah, you got to worry about that. So 
Everyone needs that one person that we can trust our heart with. And guys, if you're out there in listener land, you need to be able to share your heart. It really is important. It's also important that your children see that you know how to do that. It is a, it's a significant key to healthy living and healthy relationships is your ability to relate and share what's in your heart. We also, if you want more men to be able to share their heart, you probably ought to quit calling their friendships bromances because you're going to make it so it's not safe for a guy to have another guy to tell what they feel. You don't want to emasculate somebody because they share what's in their heart. Now, I know we just joke about the bromance thing, but you can't have it both ways, right? You can't sit there and want your man to have more friends and then make fun of them when they have one that's too close. Crazy, crazy. Last but not least, friendship practice makes friendships permanent. For some of us, we're just not good at friends because we don't do it enough. That's why the Christmas dinner might become really awkward. We don't know how to just hang out as a bunch of buddies. We know how to do it in the formal setting of work. But then we have our roles and everything's kind of structured for us. But we need to practice with our friends. So a little homework assignment for all of us is let's just start finding a way to go do some activities with people. If you do get tickets to a game, maybe invite a friend to go. Maybe invite a neighbor. Um, I've noticed a great way to just meet people and to become and to find more friends is just with my own kids' sporting events, their own sporting activities. There's so many dads on the sideline. So go practice. Go out of your way to start trying to meet people and make friends. Socialize. I always think, man, if my wife ever died, I would be in such trouble because she's the one that knows everyone socially and has created all of the ties. I wouldn't even know all of the information that I need to know about my son's team and coaches, you know, because I just pick him up twice in a week and go to the game. But my wife knows who the carpools are, who else lives by us because of the relationships. So you might want to spend some time focusing more on friendship practice and making practice happen because the more, you know, the more we practice it, the more permanent we'll get at uh, being able to be a good friend, have a good friend. Anyway, basic tools. So do men need friends? Sure. Everybody needs friends. But what they call a friend may not be what you call a friend. They may not always have a hug fest. They may not always open up and share their deepest of emotions. But uh, and they're, they may be getting their friends at work. They may be getting their friends at church. They may be getting their friends in all other aspects of their life. They might do it in an easier way, less formal way. But let's respect it. We're all different. Nobody needs to be judged for it. We'll take a break, my friends. That's the Coach's Corner. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Time of the morning to you. Hey, we... Uh, we just talked about do men need friends? Men need friends like kids need Santa. 
I don't know what that means. But uh, a New Jersey mall is now making kids pay to see Santa Claus. Are you kidding me? We have to pay to see Santa Claus. Children wanting to see Santa Claus at a southern New Jersey mall will now have to pay admission uh, to the Cherry Hills Mall Adventure. Excellent. (laughs) It costs between $35 and $50, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. The packages come with photos or video of the visit. Do you want the um, Super Santa combo package? Um, Okay, let me explain it. Would you like your child to sit on Santa's lap? Okay, that's $10 additional. Would you like Santa to give you three ho-hos or four ho-ho-ho-hos? Are you kidding me? And then the prices go up if we have a picture or a video? Would you like Santa to have a nice minty breath? When he talks to your child. No, I I want him to smell like coffee. Unbelievable. You cannot. Are you kidding me? Are we now going to start commercializing Christmas? When is this? (laughs) The move has sparked anger from many parents, some of whom say the charge inherently pushes away low-income families. True. Which say uh, that runs counter to the spirit of the holiday. Santa Claus doesn't discriminate. Santa Claus, speaking for Santa Claus, he's not after filthy lucre. Santa loves the children. Would you like Santa to ask your child about presents? How would you like Santa to end the conversation with your child? Would you like him to give a season's greeting, Merry Christmas? Happy Hanukkah. How would you like that to go? Well, I don't know. It's 50 bucks. I guess I can do whatever I want. I want him to happy Kwanzaa. Oh, folks. I'm going to start ruining Christmas by commercializing it and by, I don't know, what's next? What's next? Are we going to ruin Thanksgiving by having Christmas cells that day? Why are you laughing, Ben? Don't be rude. I'm mad. I sat on Santa's lap back when it didn't matter if he had money. I remember the days. Do you? What's the Hawaiian Santa look like? Um, He has like surfing shorts. Really? But then he has a normal coat. He's got a normal red coat, but surfing shorts. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends which mall he goes to. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, Does he have, like, little scrawny old man legs? Or are they, like, big, beefy, surfer kind of muscly legs? Are they tan? Yeah, sometimes they're tan. Like, I'd love it to changes see from time to time. I'm, I guess he has, like, a spray tan or something. No. No, no, no. It's the real tan. It's the real deal. Hawaiian Santa. Anyway, come on, New Jersey malls. Let the kids in. I mean, I guess you are paying for the Santa Claus adventure. But, you know, many times, depending on the mall, just climbing up on Santa's lap is an adventure in and of itself. You know what I mean? I remember just kind of being grossed out by a Santa once. Like, yeah, your beard doesn't even stick to your face, Santa. 
and your breath smells like black licorice. Come on, Santa. Anyway, <laughs> not to get all down on Santa. Hey, uh, that's our number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, the goal of the show is to bring you the information you need, hopefully let you see the good in the world, have a good laugh once in a while. And uh, you can find us on podcast as well. So if you've missed any of the shows, go check us out on iTunes. Look up on iTunes, the Matt Townsend Show, bada boom, bada bing. You can get all of our podcasts. You can also go to TuneIn if you're using the old Android tools and devices. Or you can find us on BYUradio.org. Just look for the Matt Townsend Show. Giving you the tools, the information you need to uh, stay healthy and up to date in the world Not just here to give you the news, though. We want you to get a cut of the news that helps your life be a little easier, maybe make better decisions. Stick with us. We'll come back next hour, a whole new hour, new topics, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt. And a happy push-button phone day today. Huh. That I, I don't think that was the push button phone that we're celebrating. It's actually push button day that I was celebrating. You yeah, you celebrated push button day. Uh, that was the wrong button. We are celebrating on the November eighteenth push button phone day. Before no. you were born, there used to be a phone that had push buttons on it. I and think you're misreporting the story. No, I actually think I have one right here. Can you hear that? That's a push-button phone. Just happened to have one right here in the studio. Not the push-button blow-people-up day. Man, Ben! Sorry, I was mistaken. Anyway. Happy uh, push-button phone day. It's also Mickey Mouse birthday in 1928. He was created. Mickey Mouse. And he's still... I think topless. He doesn't wear a top, does he? No, he doesn't. And he's a black mouse. I didn't know. You don't Usually see... they're gray, right? Yeah. At least the ones running around your house. The ones running around our house. Apparently one of them actually has no hair because he lost it in a trap. So he's running around freezing, shivering. Anyway, uh, interesting, interesting day. Uh, crazy stuff, again, going on around the world. Uh, this Apparently, we're at war, folks. Um, terrorism at its peak from Syria to Germany to uh, Brussels to France. It's hitting everywhere, even the airports. Certain planes are now having bomb threats. A, a plane was leaving Los Angeles, heading, I think, somewhere back east. It was grounded, had to land in Salt Lake City. Over the night, uh, also another one was leaving, I think, from Washington, D.C. and going and was had to be grounded in Nova Scotia. They emptied the plane, looked for, I guess, threats, bombs, interviewed everybody. Crazy time. Crazy time that we live in. And uh, it's scary. 
you know, what do you do and how do you talk to your kids about it? We'll, we will be speaking with Dr. Kate Roberts in a few moments. She's going to be talking about a little different subject with your children, how to motivate your children, how to actually motivate them um, with purpose, how to like instill the idea of a purpose and a goal kind of reward for them instead of just punishment. Threatening them? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's yeah, it's seems way out there. <laughs> that may be a change of, of gears there for some parents. So motivating your children through purpose. We'll be getting to that in a few minutes. But of course, before we do that, uh, let's let's get to some of the stories. I got to give you one that's just crazy. And this is for all of you parents that are shopping for Christmas gifts. Ooh, good. Do, your son plays with Legos. Yes. You need these. You actually, your wife probably needs them, and you. I could see you totally wearing these. Uh, Lego anti Lego slippers. Hmm. Anti-Lego. Mm-hmm. A French advertising agency created a pair of slippers designed to prevent loose Lego pieces from damaging the owner's feet. Have you ever had the Lego oh, yeah. ouch moment? I, I have learned to shuffle through the house. I've noticed I don't that. lift my feet yeah, up yeah. off the ground. Uh-huh. You just sort of drag them around. That way you don't have that pain. I mean, you step on a Lego, it is one of the most shocking moments of your life it's it, oh, yeah. the, the pain rushes up your legs you fall you're like what just happened oh it's a little tiny lego see exactly the shuffling Ridiculous. is a great way to do that yeah you, if you don't lift your feet up nothing gets underneath them <laughs> plus you create a lot of static electricity and, and then, then you, you find your kid, your kid and you shock him yes <laughs> if you don't pick up your legos i will shock you and then he runs to his mom and because he doesn't understand what you just did he can't really describe it so mom's <laughs> confused too and it's all kinds of fun the uh, french company brand station posted a video to facebook showcasing a rectangular pair of lego slippers that will be given away as part of a promotion on the toys website this confused me mm-hmm. couldn't you just wear a pair of slippers no these are special slippers these are anti lego slippers if you read it they're just slippers they right. say lego on them well, but they're, they're just slippers they are heavily padded insoles to okay. protect your feet from all a variety of lego pieces by the way they're exclusive there's only 1500 pairs of these <laughs> anti lego slippers now, you know what would happen is your kid's going to end up putting Legos inside the slipper. Yes. Yeah, there they are. Uh, and honestly, they look like um, a Wendy's fry box. Okay. With a big cushiony pad underneath it. Hmm. Lego slippers. Maybe they work. I don't. I, I think. You could probably just wear a pair of slippers. Let's just say stylistically. Yeah. Ugly. They're yellow and they are red and massive Lego logo. But, yeah, they do. You, you can see the person is actually stepping on Legos and there is no apparent pain. They do look to, to have some sort of extra cushioning. Uh-huh. Don't you see that? To help with the uh, – avoid the, the pain and suffering right. of stepping on Legos. So if, you, if you're in search, if you have Legos at your home, then it's probably time to get some Lego slippers. Hmm. And while supplies last, and apparently. while you're at it, I'd get some Lego or Lincoln Log knickers. <laughs> so you got your Lego slippers and your Lincoln Log knickers. Do they still make Lincoln Logs? My uh, mother-in-law purchased some for my my son. He's gonna have Lincoln Logs for Christmas. What if your son's listening right now? He's not listening. Well, how do you know? Because he doesn't listen to this type of program. How do you know? Because my wife doesn't turn on this program with my child in the in the car. You're a little bit too racy for. <laughs> 
for my child is kind of what I've been told. It's totally true. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I've been told that, I'd be one rich man. My wife's like, wow, this is controversial. My son can't listen. My son cannot listen to this. Um that it kind of freaks him out when he, he hears dad, but he doesn't see dad. That's yeah. That's he starts looking around like, "Where's dad? Where's he?" Um, get your boy a pair of Lincoln Log knickers. Okay, I'm serious. I'll see if those are available. Knickers, you know, they've kind of lost popularity lately, hmm. but they're going to come back. All all trends come back eventually. Yeah, I mean, it might be a couple hundred years, right? <laughs> but knickers are going to come back, and when they do. Lincoln Log Knickers. Uh, let's go to the headlines, find out what else is going on around the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Ben Carson's surge to the top of the Republican presidential primary race might be coming to an end. A WBUR poll of, out of New Hampshire uh, out this morning shows the retired neurosurgeon fading on all fronts, with Donald Trump pulling further ahead in first place and Carson dropping in popularity. Trump now leads the Republican field in New Hampshire by five points, with Carson in second place, uh, second place tied with Senator Marco Rubio at 13%. Texas Senator Ted Cruz comes in at 8%. Rubio and Carson tied in the poll, but the Florida senator edges the former neurosurgeon in favorability, indicating that questions about mm. Carson's biography might be taking their toll on the political outsider. It's a big deal. That could be interesting. Republican presidential candidate Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal has decided to suspend his campaign when he was asked why his campaign never really took off, he said. You know, Brett, we spent a lot of time developing detailed policy papers. And given this crazy, unpredictable election season, clearly there just wasn't a lot of interest in those policy papers. But the reality is, I think the Republican Party has to lay out the pathway why we are the party for opportunity and growth. So, Jindal is out. Mm -hmm. There is currently 14 candidates still running for the Republican nomination, if you count Jim Gilmore. Who? He's a former governor of Virginia. Okay. He has... Oh, he's still in, huh? He's still in. He doesn't really register in many polls. I don't think he's been in any of the debates. He might have been in one. Hey, by the way, a little note for any future candidates. Detailed policy reports? Yes. Not a pathway to the presidency. You might want to get out and talk to people. (laughs) Yeah. Be public somehow. Raise money. Yeah, policy papers. French President Francois Hollande said in a statement on Wednesday that France has a duty to accept 30,000 refugees over the next two years. Life must go on, he said, further insisting that racism against Muslims would not be tolerated in France. He goes on to stress that France is at war with ISIS and that the terrorist group is threatening uh, the entire world. So he's not, he's trying to, uh, as, as President Obama has done, we're not fighting the Muslim people or the the people of Islam were fighting ISIS. Right. This this small section of of people that have decided to lash out this way. Daesh. Or Daesh, Dash, whichever yeah. confusing on, names. Yeah. Really, there's a marketing issue when it comes to I this. I know. We ought to ask a marketing expert. How should you market ISIS? We did. <laughs> I know we did. <laughs> it was fun. It was great. Senator John McCain said Tuesday that he does not agree with his fellow Republicans who want to let only Christian refugees from Syria into the United States. He says, I don't think any child whether they are Christian or whether they are atheist or whether they're Buddhist, that we should make a distinction, he says. My belief is that all children are God's children. This, of course, in contrast to uh, comments made by Ted Cruz from over the weekend. Hmm. Um, and this, trying in my efforts to find things in the news that don't have to do with news, the current stuff in yeah. Paris. It's really hard, by the I way. I bet it is. Researchers say they have found the most conclusive proof to date that a good breakfast translates to better grades for kids. What? In a large-scale study at a Cardiff University, researchers in Wales asked 5,000 kids, ranges 9 to 11, to record everything they ate for 24 hours, from breakfast 
on the first day to breakfast on the second day, reports the uh, this out of The Guardian. The results show that the kids who ate a quality breakfast had twice the chance of receiving above-average scores in standardized assessment tests six to 18 months later compared to those who skipped. Hmm. The word quality is key. Kids who ate candy or other junk food for breakfast, about 20% reported doing so, saw no boost in scores. See? You need a good breakfast. Get a quality breakfast. And not necessarily a drive-in breakfast? Or is that, did they distinguish? They well, just, uh, of course, their example is the extreme with people eating candy and junk food for breakfast. Who would do that? I'm not sure, but they're saying quality, so something substantial for breakfast rather than maybe grab something as you run out the door. See, that's how you help your children succeed, folks. A better breakfast, a healthier breakfast, candy-free be- breakfast, and then put them in their Lincoln Log knickers and send them off to school. So, what are knickers? Look it up, pal. Look it up. I'm kind of afraid, actually. Uh, let's just say, because you don't know, you need to wear a pair of knickers tomorrow. And it went quiet. Uh, check it out. Look it up. Google it. And make sure you look at the pictures. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Dr. Kate Roberts will be joining us. She wrote a wonderful article in Psychology Today about how to motivate your children through purpose. We're trying to find ways to motivate them, right? A lot of times we use fear. <laughs> and aggression and discipline and all of these things. But have you ever tried purpose? And is a child able to connect to a purpose, a deeper purpose, a bigger purpose, more meaning in their life? Well, according to our next expert, apparently so. Stick with us, folks. We'll be talking motivation and your child up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it can be stressful for a parent to find out their child is struggling in school. It can be even more stressful for a parent to try to find a ways to motivate their child to study more, to do their homework so that they can improve. Some parents use intimidation or bribery to motivate their kids. But what if there was another way? Dr. Kate Roberts is a child and family psychologist whose unique coaching strategies help parents to help their children, and she joins us now on the phone from Massachusetts uh, to talk to us about how to motivate our children through purpose. Dr. Kate Roberts, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you on the show. Hey, uh, talk to us about, I guess this is really getting into the psychology of motivation. There's a, a lot of ways, I guess, to motivate somebody. Um, bribery, one of them, motive, or you know, intimidation, another. But with our kids, those may not be the best ways. Well, I think it's even beyond kids. I think it's for adults, too. And there have been studies in both um, populations, children and adults, that have shown that if there's an intrinsic purpose, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Daniel Pink, Mm -mm. but um, he's written a book called Drive, and um, that really talks about the truth about what motivates us. Mm. And there's a lot of studies in there that talk about, you know, it's not the dollar. It's more the contribution that we're making uh, to the larger good. And I think for kids, 
it's tough because they don't have that abstract thinking ability, you yeah. know, especially if they're under 12. So it's much more concrete. They, they, they're looking for that reward. So I think you have to try to find some purpose in, in a more concrete way. And it could be, you know, tying it to um, how they want to appear to others, how they want to um, be able to demonstrate their intelligence, um, how they want to contribute to the functioning of the classroom, mm. uh, make it at a higher level. But I think that if they, if you can find a purpose, and every child is different, every person is different, so it's going to be somewhat unique to uh, find that hook um, that is going to help them to see that all this work is paying off in some greater way than just a grade. Yeah. Um, and you know, parents often will do the intimidation. You know, we all know what that looks like. You know, we're going to ground you. There's been a ton of research that grounding and, you know, uh, withholding things uh, doesn't work. Uh, so that's not something that I advocate for. And then the whole idea of, you know, paying children to get better grades and things like that is also a short-term thing. I mean, it could work. And for some children, the idea with that is that once they start to feel good about their progress, see what success is, looks like for a student, then it will kind of take on a life of its own. Right. But on the other hand, that doesn't always happen. And when the rewards uh, aren't available, the grades go down. Well, like, how powerful if your child young can start and they're young and they can identify a deeper purpose for how they what they want out of something. If I just imagine if they were learning that younger, they could use that old, when they're older to stay motivated where force doesn't work for me, you know, or trying to pay me to just do something. Knowing what intrinsically moves me from a young age would be very valuable. Yes, and, you know, a lot, most of the studies are done with teenagers and older people. However, you know, there is some research with younger children just in terms of um, socialization, uh, wanting to do the right thing because it contributes to the greater good and mm -hmm. things like that. So if you can tie that into, I know that, you know, math is boring or it's, it's tough, uh, to focus on reading when you'd rather be outside playing, you know, but those are the kinds of things that are going to build on a greater contribution, um, both to the classroom, to this family, you know, trying to, to make it something that is more valuable to them than just getting through the task. And I do think that um, there is some value in a secondary level to teaching kids at a young age that it's okay to be bored. It's okay to do these tedious tasks because those are going to be skills that you're going to have to have, you know, throughout the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can tie it to that as well. You're not, you know, mom doesn't always like what she has to do. Dad doesn't always like what he has to do. And yet it's part of, you know, why we're so successful is we have to do these things. Yeah. And, and tying it to that, I mean, because a lot of times we feel like as parents, we're, we're there to entertain them. We're there to keep them happy. If there's a complaint, we jump on it. We want it fixed. But maybe like you're saying, teach the deeper purpose, the deeper meaning behind some of these things. In your article that uh, you 
you wrote for Psychology Today, How to Motivate Children Through Purpose. You, you mentioned four steps uh, that I guess are just different types of uh, of ways to get your child to focus a little bit more internally, but one of them is role model purpose. What What do you mean when you talk about uh, role model purpose? Well, I think that if you lead an intentional life so that, you know, what you're doing is tied to a greater picture, you know, whether it's making uh, the family function better or the community or the people that you work with, and if you can uh, let your children know, you know, how your dedication and discipline uh, around um, making sure that things are done correctly, even when they're boring and tedious, is allowing other people to benefit. If, if they can somehow see that, hmm. it's tough because of the reasoning for young kids, but if they can, if they can watch a parent live in that kind of a way, then I think without even realizing it, they're internalizing that value. And it just happens naturally. Well, I mean, I guess compared to just a parent that just, you know, goes to work and makes the donuts but doesn't feel connected to it, doesn't feel a greater purpose. Yeah, the kids need to see it in us to know that it exists in real life. Correct. Yes. And I think that if we can, you know, it's automatic for us. We know why we're doing what we're doing. But if we can verbalize it so that they can have some, you know, understanding of it, mm. um, then I think that that's important. Oh, um, so true. So I had a son do that. Um, I was complaining. I had, I was exhausted and tired, and I had another speech I was going to do that was a, just a kind of a free speech, a volunteer speech I was going to give. And I was so tired, not wanting to do it. And I said, I complained and I said, oh, I just need a break. And my son said at 17, said, but dad, just think of how many lives you're going to change tonight. Yeah, see? And I thought, oh, he's getting it. He's getting it. And and then I felt bad and I'm like, you're right. You're right. I got to get going. But they're smarter than we think. One of my clients told me yesterday, who's I think 17, she's a senior, that in, and she's a class president in her school, and she told me if you don't have a certain GPA, you can't get elected. And so I think that, you know, if, if students can know that early on, well, you're not going to have an influence. You're not going to be able to have a role as an officer mm. if you're not uh, carrying the grades. Yeah. And, that's, and, and just knowing that there's almost a prerequisite that is in a line – it's the same thing with sports. You know, you can be a really good athlete – you know, and 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 play on some of the teams in high school, but you got to give a lot of time to do that. And are you willing to do put in the work? Yes, and I think that with maturity, kids that are interested in sports, my boys play a lot of sports, and with maturity, they're getting some of that discipline. But you know, they need to see it in us too as parents. Mm-hmm. They need to see how we're operating, how you know, much effort we'll put into something if we want it to turn out the right way. Mm, yeah, that Things role model. Things don't happen magic, magically. No, darn it. Uh, they don't. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Kate Roberts. And uh, if you go to her website, drkateroberts, drkateroberts.com, lots of great information about uh, educating and, and parenting your children um, and, and working with them to create motivation and higher purpose in life. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion, go through a few more points of things you can do as a parent to make sure that your child is learning to be motivated 
you know, from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Powerful stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are discussing uh, how to motivate your children using purpose and um, and helping them kind of identify more intrinsic motivators in their life instead of just using e- extrinsic motivators, you know, money or intimidation to get the results you need. And joining us is Dr. Kate Roberts, and she is a a child uh, or a psychologist and a parenting coach. She's spent over the last 25 years working with children and families to help them become more productive together. And we are uh, delighted to have her on board. Dr. Roberts, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. You, I'm happy to be here. Talk to us um, a little bit about uh, one of the things you mentioned in your article on psychology today is the fact that we, we need to maybe be clear and state the purpose um, we were talking before the uh, before the break that parents need to be a role model, an example of how to be kind of motivated uh, by purpose. But we also need to, with our children, make sure we're stating the purpose. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you mentioned sports, um, and I think that, you know, let's take that, for example. So, you know, my younger son, you know, wants to pitch, and you have to be um, somewhat skilled to be a pitcher in baseball. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, that that's the goal. That's the purpose. You know, that's something concrete that a younger child can relate to. So if that's what you want, here's what has to happen to get that. And it requires discipline. It requires perseverance. It requires practice. It requires commitment. Hmm. All these different things that are applicable to academics as well. And so I do believe that sports sometimes can be a venue for certain children who don't automatically um, develop those skills through academics, because if they're doing it in a sport, then it's easy for the parent to say, or easier, I should say, to say, you know all that commitment that you showed because you want to be a baseball pitcher? Well, that's what I'm looking for in your geometry. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, can, know, so they can attribute it. We yeah. know that you could do it. You weren't an automatic pitcher. You just, it's just, it didn't happen that way. It doesn't for most people. It's the same for this academic subject. That's great. And then you, one, you can take their successes and use them to, to learn the principles behind other success and translate them into other fields. Right, exactly. And, and the benefit. Some, you know, there's some place to start, yeah. even for a young child that's important to them, some, some place where they can start to learn that they have some control and that they can have a greater purpose that they're working towards. This gets into your next point about explaining the why. It seems like a lot of times we'll tell our child to do something, but they never understand why. They don't understand the logic behind it. They don't understand the benefit of it. So so talk to us about what does the why do to the child's motivation? Well, I think even if they can't totally grasp it, it, it allows them to understand that there is some reason. That the reason they, that they're doing geometry isn't just to torture them <laughs> or to, you know, confuse them or make, give them a painful situation. 
it's not always readily applicable in terms of, okay, so you have to learn geometry because, you know, you're going to need that in order to become whatever you want to do, a salesperson or whatever you want to do, a police officer. But it's if you if you can talk to them about how it's going to teach them a way to think that at at the present time they can't see the importance of that but that it's going to allow them to have more skills that will um, be used in other ways to get what they want hmm. so it, it's 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 a question of just sitting down and saying to them I know it doesn't make sense that you have to learn about these angles and this and that. However, it's testing you. It's hard for you. And so if you can overcome that and actually learn it, then you're going to be able to use that in a way that is going to help you to reach your other goals. Yeah, and if you've had these conversations before and you've talked about what their goals are and you've you've kind of you know put them out there and made them more overt – um, then you could you can work you can show them the why is connected to your deeper goals, you know it's there, there's a yeah. connection here. And I think that when parents have to problem solve, so let's say you buy a piece of furniture that you have to put together, or something breaks in your house and you have to figure out what you're going to do, or you got to reset your TV or whatever it is, and you don't know how to do that. I think demonstrating to kids. You know, I don't know what I'm doing here, but this is how I'm going to go about solving it. So they can see that parents have the, um, you know, and it's it's because I took those geometry classes in elementary school that I actually have the ability now to sit here and figure out how to solve this problem. Mm, That is so, I mean, really, it's it's a full time thing, right? You last night I I sent one of my kids, uh, we had a leaky toilet and I sent him to go get a part for the toilet. He drove, did it, found it, bought it, actually bought two because he thought we might need another one someday and um, came back and I was just about ready to go pop it in. And I thought to myself, hmm, he's done so great so far. Why don't we just let him do it? And But it, what it dawned on me is I'm also showing him I trust his abilities. I trusted you to go do it. You nailed it. You brought it back. Now can you help me put it on? But the, it's exactly what we what we reflect and what we show them. They're going to believe. They're going to believe what we say eventually. Yes, and the more you can reflect back to them, you know, in in a way that puts the attribution inside themselves. So yeah. in my article I say, you know, that if you can describe what they do, like, for example, carrying heavy bags, you know, then if you can say to them, um, you must be, you know, strong. You can carry those heavy bags. Mm-hmm. Then they can say to themselves, I guess I'm strong. Instead of the parent telling them what they are, right. describing it so that they can then make that connection and internalize it and make that attribution themselves. Because they think a lot of times parents will say, well, you're really smart or you're really good or you're really athletic or you're really this or you're really that. Instead of describing what the kid is doing, and yes. then they can put the label on it. I love that. Yeah, th- then it is coming from the inside again. That's powerful. I mean, it's just yeah. little promptings you're giving. Um, the last thing in your article you talked about is the need to reflect. And it seems like a lot of us are so you know short on time. We might get something done, but we don't always reflect back with our child on what happened. Exactly. And I think you know reflecting back um, and asking them how they felt. 
You know, uh, I remember just in the last couple of weeks, my son studied hard. He didn't get as good a, a high a grade on his, you know, math test as he thought he was going to. Was I disappointed? Sure. But I said to him, how do you feel? Mm. Are you disappointed? He said, yeah, I'm pretty disappointed. So that that is his disappointment. You know, mm. I've already achieved what I want to achieve, at least in school. So, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, but it's important for him to own that disappointment. Yeah. Oh, because that's his motivation. We, we do that all the time. We're mad about their grades. Why aren't you worrying more about your grades? Instead of asking your son, how do you feel about that grade? Because if he's already has concern and pain about it, then we might just need a better solution instead of a better beatdown. Yes, exactly. And and like you said, reflecting back, talking through it, understanding what went well. Mm-hmm. After my kids play sports, I always say, you know, what did you do well? What could you have done better? Because I'm not sure they're asking themselves that question, but eventually they will if they – if we, you know, go through it enough. I mean, I don't feel like I need to evaluate them. They can no, it's, evaluate it's themselves. And then by asking the questions, it's not you. Yeah, how many kids get in the car and then have their parents say, you need to try harder in that practice. You're not even, instead right. of, how do you feel like you're doing there? How do you feel right, like exactly. you are you ran that exercise? That's powerful. And it's interesting for the parents because what my son will say isn't stuff that I necessarily would have come up with. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I thought – what, 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 if what if they're kind of delusional? Yeah, I thought I nailed it, Dad. <laughs> and you're like – I would just – I guess you'd ask, well, based on what data? What data are you using that you nailed it? Right, exactly. exactly. That's so funny. Aren't kids great? They really test the parent, huh? They they really do. They really do. And I don't write about it in my article, but I do think that the technology, the influence of technology, as great as it is, you know, is uh, creating this need for instant gratification, all these other things that, you know, we had to do and we didn't question so readily um, are boring and mundane and you know, so yeah. I do really caution parents to really limit the technology uh when it's used for entertainment and things like that, because all these skills have to happen to have a healthy, well-balanced adult that, you know, parents are raising. And if if technology is getting in the way, it's hard to correct that. Mm, it's so, so true. Well, Dr. Kate, we appreciate you. Dr. Kate Roberts, uh, uh, PhD, if you go to her website, drkateroberts.com, Wonderful resource there. She's got a great blog and uh, does a lot of media appearances. Go check that out. She is the parent coach and uh, can walk you through some of the more difficult things you got to get through just trying to raise healthy, happy kids. We will take a break, my friends, and uh, go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Some pretty good music. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, Jerem Jordan and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. It's Spencer, Matt. Uh-uh. Oh, is it uh-huh. Spencer? 
Jeremy Jer- Jer- has the day off. Oh, so today I think Jason I heard that wrong. That's great. Even you know what, Spencer, where have you been? I missed you, bro. That's right. That's right. You had a late nighter. Another one of those tomorrow. Like I spread it out like randomly all over the place. Oh man, brother. Mm-hmm. I like how you you get to travel a bit. You get to go dabble. <laughs> you get to dabble in a lot of stuff. Dabble with the newborn baby. How is how is Jet? Jet, oh, fantastic job remembering his name. He's awesome, man. I mean, he's, he's named after a he's named after a plane. Yes. <laughs> he's named after Joan. Jet. I'll tell, I'll tell you later why the nurses at the hospital thought that that was the appropriate name for I him. I think I already know. Oh, I think we can all get that one. <laughs> <laughs> he is a jet. No, he's actually a rocket. Yeah. Um, is uh, is he healthy? Is mom home? Is everyone together and safe and sound? Yes, he's good. He's a little colicky, mm-hmm. a little bit. But, uh, Aren't we all, though, to a certain yes. extent? Yeah, probably. Yes. You know what? When they're colicky, that's when you hand them back to mom. <laughs> <laughs> Or that's what my wife says, Spencer, get up. Get up. You're oh, driving okay. him in the car for an hour. Okay. Go put that boy to bed. Here's the thing, though. He hates his car seat. Oh, really? Yes. What is the deal with that? Is it I how you? Know. Maybe it's how you drive. Maybe it's maybe. the driver. Potentially. Where have you taken young Jet to this point? Uh, let's see. Where have Besides we gone? Besides, I'm assuming, to the doctor. So well, gone, we've, we've gone to the doctor, to the store once. The tattoo parlor. Um, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just those three. Isn't it, isn't it funny, though, how, you know, the, with the first one, you're so cautious. And by, like, the second one, I have four. Like, by the oh, third yeah. and the fourth one, you know, day after coming home, we were out and about. <laughs> oh. You know, by, the, all those concerns just go away. By the sixth one, you don't even know you've got them all. <laughs> you're like, one, two, I don't Yeah, care. we used to count off when we had four, and now it's like, if you're not in, you're gone. And we pull away. Sorry. <laughs> it's so sad. Um, that how we many left Johnny at the gas station? <laughs> I know we did. I know we did. That kid had us an attitude, <laughs> and Jet's so much cuter. Um, so you're you're back. Are you tired? I'm sure because these two were a mess yesterday because of the late game. Yeah. So fortunately, I did have a paternity day yesterday, but still, like I was up until two. Oh and man. Then so I, really, I didn't feel bad for Jason and Jeremy because no. I'm like, no, I slept three hours last night too. Yeah. Whatever. I sleep three hours at a time <laughs> basically every night right now. That's hard. It's hard. You know? It is, it's, it's worth it though. It's I hard, f- but it is worth it. I feel for you because uh, I only got like, I don't know, eight hours. Oh, oh wow. <sighs> I've very quickly forgotten what that feels like. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just rubbing it in. I'm this is so much fun for me because uh, it, it gets better too. Because my kids last night we stayed up late, five boys watching the Warriors game. Ah, uh, the Warriors. Falling in love with the Warriors. Steph Curry is like I love him. I I'm going to say it. I love Steph Curry. It's hard not to love a superstar of his caliber and personality. Holy cow. And, and the fact that he looks like he's about 16 don't you love adds that? to it all, uh-huh. right? And he just like – he kind of like lays low for a bit and then, you know, when they start losing a little bit, he just pups up about four threes. No big deal. He's very slippery in that he's – like you know he is a fantastic superstar, uh-huh. but he somehow just kind of like – I don't want to say weasel. That's why he's yeah, slippery. Yeah, slippery. Slippery almost sounds worse, though. You know. I know. I, I don't know the, the correct word because, like, even though you know you should defend him, it's like, oh wait, Curry has twenty five points already. 
Like how, how did that happen? Yeah, you how just out of the blue. Happen? Well, and the other part about it, that, and I think any guy like Steph Curry, and there's not many, but any guy like him, when you look at it, I mean, he's a guy that went to Davidson. Mm. We're not talking about a hotbed right. of, of, of sports here. It was the seventh pick. It's not like he was a, a top two or three pick. And so it, it goes to show you that it's not an exact science when you draft these guys yeah. and where you play. If you can play, and you can play, if you can play well, you know, you can still fulfill your dreams regardless of where you go. That's right. Well, and if your dad is Del Played Curry, in the NBA. That helps. Helps a lot. Former jazz man, at least for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, oh was he? Yeah, Del Curry. He, the reason he went to Charlotte was because the jazz made him uh-huh. available in the expansion draft. Look at you, man. See, this is why I need to talk to you guys every day. <laughs> How does Steph Curry end up at Davidson? I was having that thought the other night. How yeah. does Davidson it seems like, land yeah, that he should, guy? Right. It's... It's because he's hot. Man. Well, know. it's like D- Davidson? Sometimes. His you, brother went to Duke. But this this also goes to show you that you just because, you know, you 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 may not have the, the measurables that people look at or you, you may not fit a certain mold that if if you're willing to put in the work and make yourself great, you can be one of the all-time greats. And he's already at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's see that should give the rest of us hope. You don't need a six pack. Come on, <laughs> you can host a show with a one pack. We are all proof of that. Yes. Well, I can't speak for Jason. Jason works out. No, actually, Jason's so, ripped. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Why he's all he works out? I mean, these people. Uh huh. They need more kids. <laughs> <laughs> they need more kids. Anyway, hey, you guys gonna do your show thing today? Still we are doing going that? to do that, yes. What, yep. what are you, is, I bet it's going to be a doozy. You know what? I'm sick and tired of people telling me that BYU's depth is this crutch and concern. Like, hmm. Seven in three teams have depth, Matt. Yes, they do. Okay? Like, I am just I'm tired of the excuse. Like, well, BYU's depth is a major issue. Oh, really? Then why <laughs> are they seven and three? Right, right. Has it been tested? Absolutely. But is it a major issue? And I don't know. Maybe Jason feels differently. I just am not buying it. It's a minor issue. I, the, the part that is amazing to me is people, people do want to – they look at certain positions. But the, since Tanner Mangum has been the quarterback since the second half of the first game, I don't know if people necessarily look at it as, oh, by the way, we, we've had to go to the depth at the quarterback <laughs> yeah. position. By the way. To focus on the running back, the right. offensive line, linebackers. But like, oh, by the way, you, you had to go the one position that's most important. You've had to utilize depth since the second half, and that's turned out pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. We're 7-3. and three. But, I mean, that's, that's good, Right. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, and it very but, easily could have been nine and one. It doesn't make exactly. the loss to Missouri or know, the loss the to problem. UCLA any more or any less frustrating, I should say. Yeah. You know, because you're like, oh, it's so close. Like a few oh, plays close. here and there, and BYU's nine and one. But then there's the argument. Well, a few plays here and there against Nebraska and Boise State, and BYU's five and five. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That would have been. I a choose to game. think of the nine and one version. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they were five and five, then depth really is an issue. You know, yeah, I just I'm not I'm not buying into it. You're not buying it. I think that it's so you're going to attack that topic today. That's Any, a shallow argument against this BYU football team. I want you to shred it, Spencer. Oh, I'm shred ready, that argument. I'm ready. What? Are you what? Kidding me? Three hours of sleep? You don't think I'm a little salty today? 
<laughs> I can I can feel your flavor from here. <laughs> that salty little uh, snarky flavor. <laughs> Anything else going to be on the show? Well, we've got Jason Beck, quarterbacks coach. Oh, cool. What was his number one teaching point after the Missouri game with Tanner Mangum? And how do uh, his quarterbacks handle losses? How did Taysom Hill handle a loss? How did Tanner Mangum handle a loss? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so go. we're going to talk about okay. that as well. I like it. Okay, yeah. good show. Top of the hour. Everybody, hang on after this show, and you can be enlightened by Spencer and Jason. Good Salty, stuff. snarky. Salty, <laughs> snarky. <laughs> to Not, the point. But, but just tired because he's taking care of his baby. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Knock him dead. Good Thanks, stuff. Brad. See you, Jason. Really, that's um, that's cool, man. They can just like they can just like put Spencer in, then Spencer can go on paternity leave and hang out with Jet, and then they can just throw Jerem in and throw Jason in. And oh. I need the ability to just like take a leave for a day and just be able to throw someone in. Ben, come on, brother. Trying to throw you in. I'll I'll handle tomorrow's show. Uh, I'll be here tomorrow. Okay, the day after? No, let's do next Thursday. You're in charge of next Thursday show. Oh, okay. Great day. Hey, uh, a little update for that Indonesian um, prison we were talking about the other day. Remember we talked about a prison in Indonesia and the uh, anti-drug czar of in Jakarta is putting together a prison on an island and he wants to – Circle the prison with tons of alligators and crocodiles so that nobody can get off of the island. Well, now he's added the fact that he wants to also put tigers on the island and piranha in the water. And we've added a few other things that he might want to put on the island, Uh, like the Kardashian family, just in case they run into someone. Uh, poisonous darts that shoot people and a big rolling boulder that the people have to outrun before they get to the crocodile farm. Wouldn't this be great? And then it's escape from Jakarta Drug Island. They might just charge people to go there and and try and escape. It's like Jurassic Park, but it's called we'll call it Jakarta Park. Are you an ex-drug lord looking for adventure? With a small price of nineteen ninety nine, you can enter Jakarta Park. You and nine hundred ninety nine of your friends will be placed in a luxurious setting on a tropical island in Jakarta, Indonesia. It's up to you and your friends to get off the island without becoming dinner for the rest of the people. The rest of the things on the island. By the way, uh, the piranha fish, meat eaters. Sharks, jaws, crushing, alligators, tigers, lions, bears. Oh, my. Ah! Crazy stuff. Cool. Anyway, watch out, folks. If you're going to do drugs, don't do it in Jakarta. You're in for the longest vacation of your life. If you, if you do drugs, don't do them in Jakarta. I'm just giving information. We're here to help. As you know, we like to end the show talking about a hero of the day. Our hero today for the Matt Townsend Show is Kate uh, or Kat Healy and her mother, Donna Healy. After an international flight from Tel Aviv, Israel, 
they had to make an emergency landing in Billings, Montana. A mother and a daughter purchased kosher food and items for the stranded passengers. Here's the story. An engine fire indicated uh, indicator caused a flight headed from Tel Aviv, Israel to Los Angeles, and it had to make an emergency landing in Billings, Montana. The 279 passengers were sequestered into the uh, a wing of the airport for security as the airport does not employ custom agents. Since kosher food was not readily available in the Logan International Airport, two Billings residents helped the 300 stranded passengers in Billings. Kat Healy and her mother Donna Healy purchased kosher food and items for the passengers. And a rabbi from Bozeman also traveled to Billings to assist with the food. The stranded passengers were able to leave for their destination after another plane came to pick them up a day later. They continued their flight following an all-day delay where passengers received a warm welcome from several Montana residents helping provide kosher food. That's pretty cool. I mean, kosher's probably not big in Billings. And yet uh, two people seeing a need and uh, taking care of the taking care of other humans. That's what this is all about. So you two are our heroes of the day. Kat Healy and Donnie Healy, thank you for uh, showing us how to be a true leader and a true, a true uh, friend here on the big ball of mud we call Earth. We're going to call it a day, folks. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. More tools, more ideas for you tomorrow. Remember, you can find our podcasts on uh, iTunes or TuneIns. Go look on those apps and just look for The Dr. Matt Show. You can also look us up at byuradio.org, download the podcast, and forward it to the friends that need it. Again, we can't do the show without you. So until tomorrow and we meet again, come back. We'll hang out, take care of each other, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.